Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio in Cumming, Georgia, it's time for Forsyth Business Radio. And hello, friends, and welcome back to Forsyth Business Radio. I am your host, Amanda Pierce, joined by my co-host, Steve Cooper. How are you today, sir? Good morning, Amanda. How are you doing? Fantastic. We have a great host of guests in studio today. We are joined by Elizabeth Johnson and Bill Whitney. They both represent two fantastic organizations that serve the county of Forsyth. Now, Elizabeth Johnson is the executive director for Jesse's House, and Bill Whitney is the executive director no. No? Do tell me what you are, Bill Whitney. I I'm apologize. I'm Business Development and Community Outreach Coordinator for, for the, the Connection, connection. Versailles. All right. And we're, we're going to learn a little bit more about their organizations here in just a moment. Um, why don't we start with Elizabeth and have her tell us a little bit about Jesse's house and the mission and how you serve the great county of Versailles. Sure. Um, so we are a home for female adolescents who have been removed from circumstances of abuse and neglect or have been abandoned. Um, so it's, um, we're their home is what, what it really comes down to. And I would say that we move, remove them from homes where there's abuse, but, uh, you know, some of the girls that we have are homeless as well. Um, we've been in operation since, May 11th of 1998, and we've served 1,075 girls over those almost 24 years. 1,075 girls. That's amazing. Yeah. Congratulations yeah. to you. Yeah. I mean, so um, I've, I know I'm standing on the shoulders of a lot of people who put a lot into making Jesse's house what it was. It started from the Forsyth County Interagency Council on Youth um, they were formed under the United Way umbrella, and in 1994, they commissioned the A.L. Burris. Oh, gosh, I'll, I'll get this wrong, but it's at Kennesaw State University um, for a needs assessment, a countywide needs assessment. And what came um, to the fore was a need for a shelter like Jesse's house. Girls that were um, being removed from conditions of abuse, they didn't have any place to put them. So they were putting them in detention centers and, you know, things like that, or moving them kind of far away. And um, so, yeah, it was it was definitely a need for it. And clearly, we've been in operation for 24 years and have served that many girls. They were right. So, um, so yeah, from very humble beginnings, $5,000 from United Way and a house that was donated by the Larry Morris family um, in honor of his father, Jesse Morris. Um, it was a two-bedroom house in here in Forsyth County and um, could serve as many as seven girls at a time. Um, but, yeah, here we are. <laughs> that was going to be later. my next question, Elizabeth. Um, well, hats off to you and your organization for seeing a need and, and getting in front of it. Um, you explained just briefly a little bit how the name Jesse's House came about. So yeah. thank you for connecting those dots. Yeah. Is your facility still that same original home that was once donated? Or you've no. since moved out because yeah. you've outgrown it? In, in uh, 2002, the Mashburn family donated the current facility where we are. Um and we're an undisclosed location, so there will be people in the community that know where that is. But um, it's a 12-bed facility now, so um, that's the numbers that 
really increased um, for sure. And it started out as a maximum 90-day stay, just really emergency emergency shelter. Um, but as of this last uh, fiscal year, we um, had girls staying for an average length of 11.4 months. So, And we've had girls that have stayed as long as two and a half years. So it really has changed and grown in, in how we serve the community. But in the beginning, it was really emergency shelter. Elizabeth, are you all trying to expand your, your beds at Jesse's house? No, uh, really not. Um, it's not that I don't think that we couldn't do a good job. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I'm really proud of the team that we have, and the women that I work with are just the most dedicated, wonderful people I've ever known, really. Um, but the model that we work from, I think, is a pretty good approach for what the girls need because they're coming from not really having much of a support system. And I think if we get too big and um, try to expand that um, – feels less like family and less like home. And I think, you know, so much of what ends up being very therapeutic for them is that it's a nurturing environment with people that they come to know and trust. And trust, yeah. And, yeah, that's a big part of it is just building those healthy, respectful, trusting relationships. So if we if we had other locations maybe, um, but I think for a location that to go above in fact i i like to cap it at 10 because that it starts to really change the dynamic in the home when it's more than 10 girls well we were talking about before we went on air where everybody was from when they grew up tell us tell us the listeners what drew you to jesse's house well how'd you get involved in jesse's house what 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 brought me here? What brought you here? <laughs> well, um, so I'm a therapist by trade, and um, when I first started working at Jesse's house, I provided clinical services for the girls. So um, that was how I got involved with Jesse's house. And the then program director um, was leaving, and the executive director um, asked if I'd be interested in that position because it requires a clinical background. I would argue it does as the executive director as well. And so it seemed like a good fit and a nice way to kind of use my skills but expand and do something a little bit different too. And I was just so taken by what they did there. I was so impressed with them um, because I worked for Bethany Christian Services. I didn't work directly for Jesse's house. So um, just the way they ran everything and what they did for the girls was, I thought, just really incredible. So it was something I wanted to be a part of. How long have you been with the organization? Well, I started there as the therapist six years ago, um, but then it's been five since I've been working directly with Jesse's house. So, so almost over a decade, you have no. So it's um, six years all total. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just worked gotcha. as a uh, direct as the therapist there for a year. Uh, tell our listeners a little bit more about what the team looks like to support your organization internally. Obviously, like you mentioned, um, the resources for counseling, and right. I would imagine that there is, I don't want to use the word chaperone because that sounds like, you know, like you're in school, but um, what do you refer to the people that might stay in the home and kind of help with the functionality of day-to-day? Yeah, so we have three different shifts to cover the 24-7, 365 days a year that we need people there. And um, they're called direct care staff. They're the ones that do the hands-on. I, I like to say that if we're on the front lines of child welfare, um, 
the people that do the direct care staff job are in the trenches um, doing the really hard work that it takes um, to help these girls make the kind of um, adjustments that they need to make. Um, so uh, we have a staff of about 12 women that cover that those shifts. And then um, myself as the executive director, and then we have a supervisor for all the direct care staff. And there, again, I, I couldn't just say enough about all of them. And um, then two what we call human service professionals that are more or less like case managers in-house, and then a house manager. She's the one that kind of looks over the grounds, makes sure that we're in good shape, you know, plans the menus, does the shopping, that kind of thing. I bet that's a tall task, kind of yeah. caring for 12 people, essentially, or planning grocery lists right. and, and household chores and things like that. Where do you guys get the resources that you need to continue to support your efforts? Um, really quickly, before you share, if uh, any of our listeners would like to participate or help in any way, you can visit jessieshouse.org, and that's J-E-S-S-E-S-H-O-U-S-E.org. Go ahead, Elizabeth. So um, we get a per diem from the state, but just to kind of give you an idea of what that covers, um, the per diem in 2008 was $101.82 a day, and um, now it's $108.47 a day. So Per person or for your entire? Per person, okay. yeah. So that will cover some of the expenses, but it's not even close. Um, and then for uh, the clothing allowance for girl, um, well, it's for the boys too, is $415 a year. And they often come to us with just nothing, nothing, yeah. nothing just the clothes on their back. So that's supposed to cover everything. So the per diem really falls, you know, and the, the support that we get from the state really falls short. So we have to depend on corporate um, partners and people in the community that, um, you know, make up the rest of it just to keep in operation, just to keep the doors open. Um, anything that goes above and beyond, you know, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, again, has to be from the community that we're able to do anything extra for the girls. Are you able to share any of your corporate partners and kind of help us celebrate them with you? Oh, uh, sure. Um, we have some that have been, you know, just kind of the rock of what how we've been able to keep our doors open automation direct would be one of them for years they have troncali subaru um chrysler subaru they have as well hallway plumbing couldn't say enough about them um one of our hosts here steve cooper oh <laughs> um he's been a big supporter i mean th- there have been so many and um i have to say that uh you know, working in child welfare and the horror of what you hear and know about what these girls have lived through is pretty hard to take. Um, you don't get numb to it, or I haven't. And I started working in this field in 1987, so I've heard a lot. But the community lifting you up and backing you up and just saying, you know, thank you for the work that you're doing, and I want to support you, and that just means the world to all of us because, first of all, then we can continue what we're doing and we're not making false promises to these girls that we can keep them safe and give them a chance to have a life and do things that they never dreamed of, really. Um, But it also just makes you feel like, okay, there's people out there that really do care, and the girls know that as well, too. So it really is genuinely like 
you know, uplifting kind of thing to have that kind of support from the community. I bet. And I bet that um, it's a very rewarding role that you play within Jesse's house. Steve, did you have anything to add before we bring Bill into the conversation? Yes, I was going to say, I met Elizabeth uh, several years ago. She came and spe- spoke at our Rotary, Lanier Forsyth Rotary Club. That's the one at 7.30 a.m., Elizabeth. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it was tough getting there. <laughs> and she came, Elizabeth came and spoke, and she just resonated with everybody in that room. I've got three daughters, and it uh, just, just hit my heart, and I think everybody wants to help Jesse's house in any way they can. That's where I met our other guest, Bill. He's Bill met, Whitney. Welcome to the show. Thank just, you. It's nice to be here. I just want to say something about Bill. Today he was just the, um, brought into the Lanier Forsyth Rotary Club this morning. So he's you were a inducted? Rotarian. Steve pinned me. Wow. Absolutely. I see your rotary pin right there on the lapel. Congratulations to you. Representing with honor. Very nice. It's a privilege to be part of that group. And I believe that the core values uh, of Rotary kind of carry carry through. That's something that we all have in common here, whether or not you're a Rotarian or not. And it's service above self, is it not, Steve? That is our motto, correct. And that is what both of you do here for the community and what we're trying to do by amplifying your message today. So for our listeners, Bill, um, share a little bit about the connection for Scythe. I know I see you guys a lot on social media Cheers to whoever is behind your Instagram specifically, because you guys make me laugh almost every single day. And I always like, and I always engage, and I just, I love it. So you guys are very present, and uh, we just discovered, or I just did, geographically, you're right down the street. So share with our listeners a little bit about your mission, and a little bit about um, what you guys do. Well, thank you, and it's terrific to be here in this uh, very, very unique group of people who live by the ideals of service above self. Um, I want to take a quick moment here to shout out to our program director, Kayla, who is the person responsible for cracking us all up on uh, social media. When she came on board, she grabbed that responsibility uh, by the horns and really has, has done a remarkable job. And you know, the, the, the critical element in my opinion uh, with that kind of exposure is consistency. And she's always there with something new and always spreading their message. And it's always inspiring too. Right. And mm-hmm. frankly, that's what we are. We like to call ourselves hope dealers. The mission of, uh, of the connection is to empower wellness through recovery in Forsyth County. And we do that um, under the vision of uh, wanting to destigmatize and educate people about addiction and the nature of addiction and really as much as possible educate our community because frankly we are all people and by the way I should introduce myself as I'm a man in long-term recovery which for me means that it's been just under 14 years since I found it necessary to take a drink or a drug to manage the circumstances of my life and what that's made available to me is a life of extraordinary richness and things to which I just did not have access while I was, while my all of my choices were subordinated by my addiction. Um, so the uh, the foundation, which is uh, the Recovery Community Foundation of Forsyth, which is the five hundred one c three and the fiduciary umbrella under which the connection exists, um, was started by Catherine Rossborough, who um, was inspired by. Uh, a movie that she watched called the the anonymous people uh, and it introduces the concept of the recovery community organization or an rco and it is a model of addiction recovery support that's peer-based 
so it's non-clinical, so it's not an expensive prospect. But um, I'm going to relate a little of that uh, through my story because, frankly, it's easy for me to remember. Um, but a recovery community organization has two important elements. One of them is that it is peer-based, so it's all the all the support is free of charge and peer-to-peer oriented. And the second is that it's local. So the state of Georgia is unique in the country in that it has about 34, I'm certain I'm getting that number wrong, but it's in the neighborhood, RCOs in the state. And what's meaningful about the local element is that they serve the communities in which they exist by developing programming that is directed toward the communities in which they live. So the needs of the, of the Forsyth County community are unique to Forsyth County, whereas the unique, where the needs of a community uh, in a rural area like Stapleton or down in Noonan or down in Savannah, or it's important that the programming be driven by the communities listening. And that's one of the things that we have a peer action committee that's responsible for being the listening of our community and for us to address those needs when they appear within the auspices of our, our mission. So that's how RCOs work. They're very nimble, they're very local, and they're really inexpensive. All of the all of the services that we provide are free of charge. I like how you said that um, it's kind of specific to the area, or that it's uh, regionally based. Is that the right term? Yeah. For so reference, we're all charged with with um, identifying the needs of the community through our peer or through peer listening through through the people that we serve come to us basically and say, "Hey, we see this as a missing in the community." We do a lot of outreach and. Um, you know, looking for, what we're trying not to do is creep across other people's mission lines, right? So there's an awful lot of temptation for that. Here in Forsyth County, it's particularly important because there are so many nonprofit organizations doing extraordinary work like Elizabeth's Jesse's House. So when there are, we're part of a network of nonprofits that um, provide services that they're very, very, very good at and that we are not. And so an important that- element of what we do is assess is needs assessments right there at the very beginning of the relationship. And if it's stuff that we can provide support in specifically with regard to empowering recovery, we do that. And with the other basic needs, it's stuff that we refer out to the people that are really good at that, to the experts, the partners that do that. Bill, we had uh, asked Elizabeth earlier about her, how fundraising, I know that the connection has a big event that comes up, once a year. Tell the folks about that. Well, it's called Recovery Rocks, and we intended it for it to be once a year, and then the pandemic came along and decided that that wasn't going to happen for a while. So Recovery Rocks, too, has been scheduled and postponed twice, and we're going to have it again this fall, and the details will follow. But what it is is a it's a concert. It's a free – It's it, well, historically it's been free. We, we may find ourselves growing into a need to cover the basic costs of it, but – it is intended to be a community awareness event. It's a rock concert where we bring the people, we bring the community together and celebrate recovery out loud, not just for ourselves, but for our community, because we know that the scourge of addiction attacks whole families and whole communities. And we want to be sure that everybody in the community understand that we're here to serve this community. It's not about us, but it is about community building. And, and that all starts from the very basic idea that healthy people raise healthy families and healthy families create healthy communities. And that's what we're all living here for anyway. 
Out of curiosity, um, if someone were to want to connect with, connect with the connection, uh, from a, I don't want to say patient standpoint, but from like a peer standpoint, if, if I, if I needed help or resources, how would I come to you or your organization? What is the first step? Giving it a Google, finding you online, walking through the front door. Um, how would one be a part of? Yes to all. Okay. So you might be referred by, by your church. You might be referred by Northside Hospital. You might be referred by word of mouth. Um, you can pick up the phone and call us. You can reach out through email, through our Facebook page, through our Instagram accounts. I mean, however you get there is how you get there. Um, We depend heavily on referrals. We have a terrific relationship with the accountability court system here in town. We offer community service to people who need it. Um, The idea here being we are a community organization. So there is no, we try desperately to obliterate any barrier that any barrier to access to our our uh, organization and are you also a 24-hour facility or is it more um business type hours no our staff is like four so um 24 hours is not available but um we are there for regular business hours and of course we do a lot of events so we're on site for that and um coaching is available anytime you need it. So if it's something we can do remotely by phone, we can do that. But uh, people are welcome to come in during business hours uh, or, you know, like I say, whatever referral avenue is available to them, we uh, we tend to be very responsive. And for those of you listening that, that care to poke around on online and check it out, it's theconnectionforsythe.org. That's correct. Go ahead, Steve. Now, Amanda, both Elizabeth and Bill are great speakers, motivational speakers, and they're champions of their nonprofit organization. But for the listeners out there, let's start with Elizabeth. Tell the listeners something about yourself that uh, maybe some people don't know out there, just as a personal, like you play guitar or. <laughs> I always find this so challenging because, I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm a mother of three. Um, I've you know lived here in Forsyth County for 21 years. Um, I've been teaching an adult. Sunday school class for 18 years. How about that? I don't think anybody knew that about me. Very nice. <laughs> and um, that I know a lot of the people that started Jesse's house because a lot of them came from our church. So, um, yeah, I feel pretty connected to the community that way. I don't know. That's not very exciting. Bill, I know a lot about Jinx. you, but go ahead and mm-hmm. spill the beans. Um. I'm the luckiest guy you've ever met in your whole life. I've sailed a boat to Bermuda and to Nova Scotia. I uh, I play the guitar. <laughs> Steve does too. He tells me we know. I try to play the guitar. You know, I got to get together and scare some cats. Um, <laughs> I like to ski. Of I love the outdoors, uh, but uh, you know, I I think that one of the, the the really great things that it's not unique to me that uh, I have enjoyed more than anything in my life is I got to work with my dad for a poor period of time in my, in my career. And it is, I'm, I'm always going to get to have that. And anybody that's ever worked with their dad, and I know Steve has, um, there is something incredibly satisfying about that. That's just, I, I, I still think my, well, my dad has passed on now, but he had a manufacturing facility in Connecticut, and we made uh, very high-end leather goods, belts and suspenders and things for men. And uh, 
I was a headhunter in California and he, I, I got sick of it after the big earthquake in 89 and he called up and said, Hey, I could use some help. And I went there and, uh, I discovered a talent for design that wound up being a, a very, very good career for me. So, um, but th- that experience of, of getting to work with and be mentored by him, uh, and to get to share that time in our lives together as, as, as adults. And I don't think many, many fathers and sons get the opportunity to be that close on a regular basis as adults, uh, was, was an experience that really had a height, a, an enormous impact on me and taught me an awful lot about who I wanted to be when I grew up. And are you an only child? I'm the oldest of five. Oldest of five. So that was cherished time that you got to spend. You better believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, it was wonderful. I, yeah. I I bet if if I was a betting gal that you still have some leather goods that you and your father crafted together. Oh heavens, yeah, um, sure. And and to be honest, um, I discovered a design talent while I was working for him. I got exposed to some of the finest designers in the world and um, had an opportunity to use my dad's business like a personal craft shop. And the next thing you knew, we're out in the world selling all this stuff that I designed. And it was, what did you design bill? I'm on the edge of my seat here. So I was uh, goofing around in my dad's factory for about a year when the sales manager came in and said, Hey, the, all this stuff you, is where all these great belts come from. And I said, well, I made them here in our factory. And he looked at me like, okay, okay. you're kidding. No, we really made them here. And he didn't realize what we could, we were capable of in that shop. So he asked me if I could make a line for him to sell. And I said, not knowing any better, said, sure. And then looked up what he meant and figured, okay, we'll put something together. And we did. And he liked what we had put together. And he said, you're coming with me. We're going to Seattle. We're going to go, we're going to go see Nordstrom. I looked at him like, what do you mean we're going to see Nordstrom? I'm, I'm not the smartest, smartest guy in the world, but finally it dawned on me. He wanted to go sell my stuff at Nordstrom. And so we took it out there. And to make a long story short, they bought the whole thing. So we wound up making all the belts with the Nordstrom brand label on them for years. Very nice. That wound up being at the beginning of, well, I guess I'm a designer. And then I started paying attention to it and it got really competitive. And we were making stuff for Polo, Ralph Lauren, and I was going to say, I was going to say, and that man's name was Calvin Klein. Yeah, I I had an opportunity to, to go and be the accessories designer at Calvin Klein, which I didn't do because my circumstances were such that I had three little kids and my wife didn't want to be a Westchester widow and she's a really, really sharp cookie. So uh, we went in another direction and it worked out well. And, and as destiny would have it, you were brought here so that you could serve this organization that means so much to you. It just goes to show you, you never know until you show up, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, uh, I got sober in St. Louis, Missouri and, uh, was, blessed with an opportunity to spend the rest of my life with another remarkable woman. And, uh, so I came here and she told me about this thing she had started and asked me to help out in whatever way I could. So I started out volunteering in September, 2018, when we opened the doors of the connection and wound up being its executive director during the pandemic and moved into the outreach and development, uh, role at the end of last summer when the need for that became very apparent. Um, it's been an interesting time. I, uh, I had a, a business before that was fun and I had started and I, it, 
it's just you never know what's going to happen until you wake up and see that there are there are other callings in your life besides the one that you're into now being called to serve again kind of bringing that full scope that's something that we all share a passion for um out of curiosity just because we're talking about mentorship and leadership and impact when you wake up in the morning elizabeth and it doesn't have to be geared towards your organization it could be towards your family when your feet hit the ground what is your why well i i mean i was just saying before that i'm i've been leading a, a Sunday school class for adults for 18 years, and my dad's a minister. So, um, yeah. You didn't share that about, snippet before, and now yeah, a lot makes well, sense. He, he was talking about working with his dad, and um, in a lot of ways my dad was kind of the mentor and, um, you know, driving force around, in some ways feeling the confidence to feel like I could lead a class. Um, and just a lot of interest, too. That, that it's just, uh, you know, was something that we were – able to share growing up um and I'm lucky enough that he's 89 years old still around and I get to talk with him all the time and um he's still my mentor and inspiration a lot of times but um serving others is the highest calling we have and um I wouldn't want to try to tell everybody what I think it is to be Christian but I do feel like um called to serve others and um that that is part of what it is and that's my why um you know to see these girls that have come from just some of the worst circumstances that you can imagine not just poverty but um I was sharing before we got on air that um I mean 80 percent of the girls that we serve um have been sexually abused and at times it's been a hundred percent and they've just had so much taken from them. And um, that's not the only kind of trauma. I mean, physical abuse, emotional abuse, just, you know, living in a van, uh, living under a bridge, living in a tent, like just so much they've endured. And um, I remember what it's like to be a teenage girl and the things that I was concerned with. And it was certainly... A luxury to be concerned with those things compared to what these girls are concerned with and um, for them it's safety they're surviving and the idea of you know going to college is not even something that they would think about um, so to give them a chance uh, you know that feels pretty good um, you know we've got um, girls that um, <laughs> I, you, you just can't even imagine what they um, went through and um, what they've had to try to overcome just to feel like they're going to get through the day and what they walk around the hallways of the schools here in this community dealing with and hiding, um, that they've been raped the night before, that they've been beaten, that they'll go home to that, that they'll go home to who knows what and not knowing what's going to happen to them um and providing them safety and place and helping them realize that they have adults that they can trust and build relationships with um you know that's a pretty good why and to get them to graduate from high school and you know we've got a girl that's living with us now that's in um going to ung and another one that's going to graduate um in may and going to Lanier Tech in the fall, and 
you know, Jesse's house, we have a hundred percent on time graduation rate. And wow. in the state of Georgia, it's only six to eight percent of kids in the foster care system that will graduate on time and only eleven percent that will graduate at all. So they're just starting off so behind. Um, to give them a chance and at least get them to graduate from high school and then help them see that they've got other avenues. I mean, that's, that's well, a it's, good why. Oh, excuse me. It's no secret that you both have um, an extreme dedication to both of your, I keep saying organizations, but really they're your passions. Mm-hmm. And that you have personal connections to what you do. For those listening who have been moved to... Um, participate or to help in some way, what types of things can people do to help Jesse's house outside of a monetary contribution? Do you need things? And if so, what are some things that people might be able to assist you with? You had mentioned about like the clothing, obviously maybe, you know, um, gently worn ladies attire. Is that something that you guys take in? Teenage attire. Let me say that (laughs) just because they are teenage girls and they, you know, they're trying to fit in and they have enough that they are walking around with that makes them feel like they don't fit in. And so, yeah, to be able to um, shop for clothing, I mean, the number one is going to be monetary um, because just to be able to keep the doors open and then to give them the power of like, hey, you've got a $200 budget. Let's go and knock yourself out and you can pick out some clothing. So, um, you know, I mean, it, I know that it sounds like kind of crass and it always seems like, oh, gosh, a little uncomfortable. But the reality is we wouldn't be able to operate or provide these girls a home if we didn't have the money to keep our doors open. So, you know, I mean, going to the website, becoming a friend of Jesse's house, $10 a month makes a difference. $20 a month makes, makes a difference. If you sign up for those monthly subscriptions, one-time donations always makes a difference. But we also have a wish list. We also have an Amazon wish list if you'd rather use kind of concrete things. But I'll say one more thing. Um, if you have ever um, explored Charity Navigator, which is um, a independent evaluator of nonprofit organizations, um, our financial accountability score is a 94 and our overall score is a 95. So um, that means that 94% of what you donate goes directly to the mission of the girls. And I would argue it's a hundred because I don't even know where that other 6%, like where are they saying that goes to? Cause I don't see it. Right. But um, anyway, it, it's, it means, and that's outside. That's not us. That's just them going off of, of um, like the transparent financial transparency. So you've, you've got a really good um, kind of percentage of whatever you're going to donate. That's going to help these girls. And, what I'd like to try to remind people is that, you know, it, to have direct contact with them is kind of tough because the trauma that they've been through, I mean, we, we have girls that have been trafficked um, and girls that have gone through so much that just to be around a large community is tough. So I'm super protective of them, honestly. And, um, you know, we're like family to them. So just kind of swooping in and doing something that's not building a relationship with them. And, and, um, we're, we try to make it more like it's their home. So, um, you know, I, not that we don't want volunteers, don't get me wrong. I'm just, I just try to make like a realistic kind of picture of what it takes. And honestly, really hard to get men involved. Um, yeah, of course just doesn't end up being a good fit. Mm -hmm. Um, unfortunately. So, um, but, uh, 
you know, there's, if you go to our website, you will find ways that you can get involved and ways that you can support us that don't involve direct contact with the girls. Um, but that really make a big difference for us. So I like that. All right. So again, visit jessieshouse.org and that's J-E-S-S-E-S-H-O-U-S-E.org. And again, we were speaking with um, Elizabeth Johnson and she is the executive director. Thank you for sharing your passion with our listeners and thank you for the hard work that you continue to do for your organization. And now we're going to parlay to Bill. So we were asking Elizabeth about her why, but she made your why very clear from the beginning. So my question to you is going to go to uh, the resource vein. Outside of a monetary contribution, what are some ways that people can get involved with your organization or help? Um, For me, that's pretty simple. Know that we're there. The problems of addiction, the problems of substance use disorders are incredibly prevalent. Um, it's difficult not. It's difficult to live a life in this day and time, and not be and not know somebody, not be connected somehow to somebody who's struggled with this disease. And for people to know that there is a place where people can go, even if they just want to ask questions, because honestly, speaking for myself, and I think I'm not unique. Um, I knew I had a problem for a long, long time before I did anything about it. But the nature of 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 addiction is one, it's incredibly isolated. Two, it's the only disease you ever heard of that tells you that there's nothing wrong with you. And that makes it almost impossible for you to jump up and ask for help until you're really, really defeated. So what we're really, what I'm really getting at is I want the world to know, particularly in our, in our community here, that the, that the connection exists to serve the needs of its community by empowering recovery, and even before recovery is available. In other words, I used to jokingly say, you know, nothing will screw up a drinking life like an AA meeting. And what I mean by that is once it gets into your head, that if you have a problem but you're not ready to do anything about it, um, knowing that there's help out there. So, for example, I, I my experience was to finally reach a point one night where I drank a bottle of gin. I couldn't get drunk anymore. I put my hands on a cold stove and I looked up and I said, this can't be what you had in mind for me. I give up. I picked up the phone. I called up a guy I knew. He said, meet me at this meeting on Friday morning. And I walked into a room full of people who knew what exactly what it was like to be in my head. And that was the thing that made me enrolled. They knew what it was like to be in my head, to have all of these, this, this turmoil, this, uh, it's a very, very unique experience to walk into, and combat veterans know this better than anybody. You can talk to another combat vet if you're a combat vet because they know what it's like to have been what the hell that you've been through. And it's exactly the same thing with people that suffer with substance use disorders. So knowing that there is a place where there is, a, there is an organization like ours that's full of people that know what it's like to deal with this very unique problem makes it possible for you to feel at home right away. There's nothing, the great, you know, Johan Hari, and this is how we became called The Connection. Johan Hari is this fellow who coined the phrase, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. The opposite of that disease of isolation is connection to other human beings and the people you're going to connect with are your community and in this case, fellow sufferers and people who, who, who have found the pathway out. So um, awareness is one of the one of the key things. The other is that because we're a very very small staff, when we're, anything that we do that looks like an event, 
depends heavily on volunteer help. So we are very happy to receive volunteer help. And, and fortunately, we live in a county that is unbelievably willing. We, you know, we were part of the nonprofit fair a couple of weeks ago, and there were people that showed up at the nonprofit fair that were only interested in, in trying to, and that were there to find new volunteer opportunities for their organization. So we had churches, we had an enormity of young people in this county, which is just such a blessing to the county. The number of young people that came up and said, I, I just want to help. High school age students. That wasn't my experience in high school. I was all about me and fun. Um, yeah, it's really a remarkable community, and, and it speaks well to, to the quality of the life that we enjoy here. So volunteer opportunities are available through our website. You can just call us up and say, hey, how can I help? Um, of course, not unlike any other nonprofit, we're very happy to receive monetary donations, especially in light of the fact that we outgrew the building that the county very graciously loaned us for a dollar a year, uh, about 20 minutes after we moved in. So um, – we're, we're going to be homeless pretty soon here, so there's a, we're going to be looking for a, a lot of help um, from the community. Um, but I think that awareness and, and, and volunteer help in the short term are really where we live. Fantastic, Bill. Thank you for that question, by the way. Of course, and thank you for your robust answer. And for those listening, uh, again, to uh, visit the website, it's theconnectionforsyth.org. And again, for Bill Whitney, who is the marketing and business development arm of the organization, and for Elizabeth Johnson of Jesse's House. Steve, do you have anything to add before we wrap up this uh, nonprofit edition of Forsyth Business Radio? Yeah, I'd just like to thank Elizabeth and Bill for coming on our show, Jesse's House and The Connection. Do great things for Forsyth County and everyone that's listening out there, please help these nonprofits. Thank you. Of course. And for everybody listening out there who would like to stay in touch with us, subscribe to Forsyth Business Radio wherever you enjoy your audio shows. These shows are available 24-7 online if you visit businessradiox.com and select the Forsyth Studio. For my co-host, Steve Cooper, and for me, Amanda Pierch, this has been a special nonprofit edition of Forsyth Business Radio on Business Radio X. Thank you.